Leviticus chapter 2. Now when anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall then bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and shall take from it his handful of its fine flour and of its oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall offer it up in smoke as its memorial portion on the altar, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. Now when you bring an offering of a grain offering baked in an oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers spread with oil. If your offering is a grain offering made on the griddle, it shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it into bits and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Now if your offering is a grain offering made in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. When you bring in the grain offering which is made of these things to the Lord, it shall be presented to the priest, and he shall bring it to the altar. The priest then shall take up from the grain offering its memorial portion, and shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. The remainder of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven, for you shall not offer up in smoke any leaven or any honey as an offering by fire to the Lord. As an offering of the first fruits, you shall bring them to the Lord, but they shall not ascend for a soothing aroma on the altar. Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Also, if you bring a grain offering of early ripened things to the Lord, you shall bring fresh heads of grain roasted in the fire, grits of new growth for the grain offering of your, earth, of your early ripened things. You shall then put oil on it and lay incense on it, it is a grain offering. The priest shall offer up in smoke its memorial portion, part of its grits and its oil, with all its incense as an offering by fire to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another evening to gather together and the privilege of sitting before your word and hearing what you say. God, we ask you to come near and teach us as you taught these Old Testament believers through these pictures, God. We are grateful that we do live in a day of, uh, of substance and not just the picture, but God, we want to learn what we can from the, the pictures as well. So by these types and shadows, God, we pray that we would have a, a clearer understanding of what Christ has done and how we are to respond. And God, we ask that you would teach us. Father, we pray for uh, many who are hurting God, some sick, some dealing with other burdens that they're carrying, and we ask that you would be near, 
we are grateful, Father, that um, as we've just sung, that all that we meet works for good, even the bitter. You make sweet. God, though hard right now, we are glad that there is joy in your presence, even in hard things. So, God, we pray that you would come near and help and sustain and glorify yourself through difficult circumstances and through easy ones as well. God, we want to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. We ask you to help us to be sensitive to those around us and aware of where people are. God, we pray that you would continue to um, to bless us as a body and the families here individually. God, primarily bless us with yourself, more of yourself. God, help us to to worship you daily and to see and to love Christ with eyes of faith, God, to look to him. And may he become more and more precious to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Leviticus chapter 2. If you were preparing a, a grocery list for shopping and you asked someone to go and check and see how much meat you have, what would you expect them to go look for? Or where would you expect them to go look for it? Would you expect them to go look in the freezer or in the cabinet? Uh, and I ask the question because um, the King James calls the grain offering a meat offering. And it is really a, a, a picture or, or an example, I guess, of how word usage changes over time. It's a perfectly good translation. It's just that we don't tend to call grain meat anymore or anything meat except for flesh. You know, I'm looking for where's the beef? You know, it's like the Wendy's commercial used to say, where's the beef? Do we have enough beef? When you ask, do we have meat? I'm thinking that. I'm not thinking, do we have pasta? Um, but at the time that the King James was written, the word meat was used a lot for just food in general. So it calls it a meat offering. Some translations call it a cereal offering. There are places where the Bible, I'm reading the New American Standard, there are places where it calls the grain offering a meal offering, M-E-A-L. Um, but... We'll use the word grain offering tonight. The Hebrew word for this offering, is not just for the grain, but the offering itself is a distinct word from that used for the burnt offering or from a gift in general. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, this is a very distinct offering from the one we looked at last week. There's no animal directly involved. There's no blood directly involved. So... Very different, very distinct from the other offerings. As we consider this, I want to um, kind of talk about some of the mechanics here first and try to explain what we're looking at. And then we'll talk about the, the, how we see Christ in this and some application for us. So just some of the mechanics. That's not maybe the best word, but um, if, you, if you read chapter 2 or if you were paying attention as we read a moment ago, you might have noticed there seem to be several different Types of grain offerings. And um, there are two main types that chapter 2 speaks about, and then there's some subtypes, especially under that first type. So we'll talk about general grain offerings. And we see these first in verse 1 now, when anyone presents a grain offering as an offering, and then in verse 4 through 7, 
it speaks of three different kinds of grain offering, general offerings, and it, they are all offerings that are cooked, but cooked by different methods. So that's the three different types that it speaks of. Verse 1 speaks of an uncooked grain offering. So there's the uncooked grain offering in verse 1, 2, and 3. And then verses 4 through 9 all describe a cooked grain offering, but cooked by different methods. And if you cook it this way, do it, it, it needs to be like this. And so it's explaining that. But you might wonder why a cooked versus an uncooked grain offering, or, or why cooked different ways. The different ways, as far as I can tell, may have just been, do you own this kind of pan or this kind of griddle? Then if you cook it like this, here's how you do it. But the cooked versus uncooked was a little bit more than that. When you brought an uncooked grain offering, what 1, 2, and 3 describe, there's another element that you bring that you don't bring if it's cooked. And that's frankincense. If you brought an uncooked grain offering, then you also brought frankincense with it. And frankincense was not inexpensive. And so I think the primary distinction between the cooked versus the uncooked was, could you afford to bring frankincense? If you couldn't afford to bring the frankincense, then cook it first and bring it. So that was kind of the big distinction between those two. So again, like with the burnt offering, where there were different types of animals that a person could bring according to what they could afford, in this grain offering, if you can afford to bring the frankincense, you don't get to play, you know, you don't get to be cheap and not bring it. But if you can't afford it, you're not left out. You're given instructions for a different method to prepare the offering and bring it, but you don't have to bring the frankincense. It still wasn't just a, 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 in one sense, it is the most accessible offering for anyone in Israel because it's grain and they are largely farmers. Everyone in Israel except the Levites had an inheritance in the land. And so they're bringing their crops in. They're bringing a portion of, of what they have, have labored for. But it wasn't the cheapest of what they'd labored for. It wasn't the, the coarsest grain. It was the fine flour. Whether cooked or uncooked. It speaks here of, of bringing fine flour. And this fine flour is a term that's used in the Old Testament of luxurious food. Pardon me. <clears throat> it, wasn't, it wasn't what you ate every day. It was the good stuff. You know, it's what you, you saved for guests. Uh, it's used in Ezekiel 16, 13. Where it says, thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your dress was of fine linen, silk, and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour, honey, and oil. So you were exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. And then in verse 19, also my bread which I gave you, fine flour, oil, and honey, with which I fed you. You would offer before them for a soothing aroma. So... There, the fine flour is presented along with the, the fine clothing, the fine linen and gold and silver. It's, they go together. It was the kind of food that was served in a king's palace. In 1 Kings 4.22, the Bible says that Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. 
In Genesis 18.6, when Abraham saw the Lord, he saw three men coming from afar, he told Sarah, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. We have company. <laughs> and so it is fine flour. It's not the coarse stuff. You know, just like you brought the best animal. You bought the best. You brought the best of, uh, of the crops. In the preparation of this, the purpose in preparing the offering would, would have gathered the grain and, and gr- ground it and sifted it and made the flour. You bring the flour, if it's uncooked, with oil and frankincense to the priest in the outer courtyard of the tabernacle. How much would you bring? Well, this passage doesn't say. But there are other passages that speak to it. And we'll um, not turn there at the moment. But in Numbers chapter 15, it speaks of times when you would bring a tenth of an ephah or two tenths of an ephah or three tenths of an ephah. And it was deter- the, the amount was determined by what else you brought. Because as we're going to see in a moment, this sacrifice always goes with another sacrifice. And so depending on what you brought in that sacrifice, it determined how much of the flour you brought. If you could afford a bigger animal sacrifice, then you brought more flour. If a less expensive animal, then less flour. And a tenth of an ephah is roughly equivalent to about a gallon. Three-tenths, about three gallons. So one to three gallons of flour. I, I don't know that we normally measure flour by gallons, but, but if you can imagine a, a bucket or a basket, the Bible speaks of bringing it in a basket um, that would hold three gallons, and you know, there it is. If you didn't have the frankincense, if you couldn't afford it, and you cooked it, then you would mix the flour with oil, cook it, and... Um, depending on exactly how you cooked it, you would break it into pieces, or what verse 6 calls bits. You would break it up into pieces, and you would bring that to the priest. Verses 14 through 16 makes clear that there could be no um, yeast or honey in these sacrifices, but that they would be salted. And when delivered to the priest, the priest would take a handful of this flour or what you've cooked and that handful would be placed on the altar and it would be burnt up. And that part is called here in the scripture a memorial to the Lord and it is a soothing aroma to Him. Soothing aroma is used of the burnt offering, of this grain offering and of what's in chapter 3, the peace offering. So this is a, a part of this soothing aroma that goes to the Lord. By offering this portion, it is a token, it's a recognition that God owns all of it. But God requires this bit, this handful. But then what do you do with the rest of it? Well, it became the priest. In fact, it was one of the ways that God provided for the the sustenance of the priest. Uh, Again, the Levites were the tribe that didn't receive an inheritance like everybody else. They didn't have fields to go and tend to. And so um, you know, their duty was in the, the temple. 
And so the other tribes provided for them, for the Levites themselves, primarily through the tithe. But for the priest, one way was through the sacrifice. So the portion that was left after the handful is taken out, the priest were to eat. Now there were certain portions that went home with them, <clears throat> pardon me, and their family was to eat. But this one, if you'll notice, um, <clears throat> in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, it is a thing most holy of the offerings to the Lord by fire. And it says that again in verse 10. Declaring it is a thing most holy meant it was something that was set aside for the priest only. He couldn't take it home to his family. In fact, he had to eat it in the tabernacle. He couldn't take it outside of the, the tabernacle grounds. So there were these kind of general grain offerings. And then verses 14 through 16 describe another type of grain offering. And this is one, while it's not explicitly called uh, a first fruit offering here, it's obviously what it is. It's, it's an offering that comes with the harvest. Verse 14, Also if you bring a grain offering of early ripened things to the Lord... You shall bring fresh heads of grain roasted in the fire, grits of new growth for the grain offering of your early ripened things. You shall then put oil on it and lay incense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall offer up and smoke its memorial portion, part of its grits and its oil with all its incense or its frankincense as an offering by fire to the Lord. So, Along with um, the kind of the general voluntary grain offering, there's at harvest time a grain offering that's offered as well. Now, I want to speak particularly about the different occasions that you would bring these offerings. The first that I'll mention is what we just have talked about. With the harvest came a grain offering. Now, there are some specific times when that happened besides just in general the harvest. There was the festival festival of first fruits um, that Deuteronomy 26 speaks of. And I believe that one went along with maybe the barley harvest. I didn't write that down, but I think that's correct. Um, and the, the picture of, of all of this, one of gratitude to the Lord, thanksgiving to the Lord for His provision. If you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 26... Deuteronomy chapter 26, beginning in verse 1. Then it shall be when you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, and you possess it and live in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish His name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. You shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a wandering Aramean, and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. But there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us. 
and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. And you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you and your household. So the harvest comes in and it's a time to stop and remember. Here's where we came from. My father was an Aramean. He was wandering around. And so he remembers the kindness of God in, in bringing them out of Egypt and rescuing him. Bringing him to this place. Verse 10, here's the, the first of the produce of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me. The ground of the produce. I'm not sure which one it actually goes with, but really both, right? You gave me the ground. It's an inheritance from the Lord. And you gave me the produce. And so he remembers and his heart is stirred with gratitude as he brings this. And as it says here, he worships. And so with the harvest, there was the recognition of how God had taken care of them and sustained them and provided for them. And gratitude to the Lord for his blessing. The grain offering was also offered every morning and every evening with the burnt offerings that were offered morning and evening. In Numbers chapter 28. The first six verses describe this. Numbers 28 verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Command the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be careful to present my offering, my food for my offerings by fire, of a soothing aroma to me at their appointed time. You shall say to them, This is the offering by fire which you shall offer to the Lord, two male lambs, one year old, without defect, as a continual burnt offering every day. You shall offer the one lamb in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Also, a tenth of an ephah of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil. It is a continual burnt offering which was ordained in Mount Sinai as a soothing aroma, an offering by fire to the Lord. So every morning, every evening, as these burnt offerings go up, along with the burnt offering, in the smoke of that rises the grain offering. And uh, it's, if, if the harvest is an occasion to stop and remember the kindness of God for His provision, is the burnt offering not an occasion to stop and remember the kindness of God for His provision? 
the one is, in a sense, material blessing, which is certainly worthy of thanksgiving. God has provided for us. He sustained us. But the burnt offering was a, a portrayal of atonement. Sin being put away with. God's wrath appeased. So the burnt offering is going up. And the smoke of it says that God has accepted it. And sin is being put away. And along with it, the grain offering. Thank you God for sins put away. The third occasion is with the burnt offerings of chapter 1. So the burnt offerings of chapter 1 are not the morning and evening burnt offerings. It's the burnt offerings that anyone could bring voluntarily as the Lord leads them, as they are stirred to ask God to forgive them and to to dedicate themselves with this wholehearted kind of sacrifice that's entirely consumed. Along with that, you would generally bring this grain offering. And so as you worship God in the burnt offering, you worship Him in the grain offering with thanksgiving. These two are so frequently tied together, I'm not sure that they're ever separated. In Numbers chapter 28 again, the first six verses spoke of that morning and evening sacrifice that we just looked at. When the morning sacrifice is offered, the grain offering is offered as well. But down in verse 9, so that's, that's the general pattern. Then on verse 9, there's the Sabbath day offerings. Two male lambs. And when you offer them, verse 9 says, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. Every other day, one tenth. On the Sabbath day, two tenths. Those two are, are linked there together. In verse 11, Then at the beginning of each of your months, you shall present a burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls and one ram, seven male lambs, one year old without defect, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. In verse 16, Then on the 14th day of the first month shall be the Lord's Passover. On the fifteenth day of this month shall be a feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. Verse 19. You shall present an offering by fire. A burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls and one ram. And seven male lambs, one year old, having them without defect. For their grain offering... You shall offer fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for a bull and two-tenths for the ram. A tenth of an ephah you shall offer for each of the seven lambs and one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. The burnt offering and the grain offering go together. And as one is offered and atonement is, is portrayed, there's also the heart that responds with gratitude to the Lord for sins forgiven. I was a sinner. I was vile. And you have forgiven me. It's not an accident that chapter 2 of Leviticus follows chapter 1. Burnt offering, grain offering. There is no blood in 
the grain offering, but it's tied to a blood offering. It's tied to the burnt offering that's consumed. Well, let's uh, think for a few moments about the purpose of this offering. There are several things that um, it that are contained within the purpose for it. One is the portrayal of again wholehearted devotion. The grain offering, again, accompanied the burnt offering. And while they were different, they did share some common ground. The burnt offering served both as an atoning sacrifice, but also, again, as an expression of wholehearted devotion. Because the thing being offered up was costly, and it was completely consumed. And so, it was a sacrifice in in more than one way. Here, in the burnt offering, the worshiper brought an animal from the herd or from the flock. If he couldn't afford those, he brought a pigeon or a turtle dove. But the animal cost something. And it was the product of the life and the labor of the worshiper. The grain offering also expressed the personal devotion of the worshiper. The grain offering was not from the the herd or from the flock, but it was from the field. And the oil was probably olive oil from the orchard. Both then were representative of the labor of the worshiper. As with the burnt offering, you didn't bring a a wild animal. You had to bring something from your own herd or flock. In the grain offering, you don't bring wild plants. You bring those that you've cultivated in your field. In my yard, I have a couple of blackberry plants. And we have found back on a fence line wild blackberry plants. If, if blackberries were an appropriate offering, they weren't. But if they were, the ones that have been cultivated would be appropriate. The ones growing on the, the fence row wouldn't be. It's what you've worked. It's, it's what you've labored over. Now why is that important that it be the fruit of your labor? It's not that you're somehow working for forgiveness. It's not that, that the, the sacrifice somehow has more merit because you've sweated over it. That's not it at all. But rather, it is that the image being portrayed is this animal from your pasture or this, this flower from your fields is representative of you, of your life. And so as you bring those things to the Lord, you're bringing yourself to the Lord. I am offering not just this bull. I'm offering not just this flower. God, I offer myself. In chapter 2 and verse 1, the New American Standard speaks of now when anyone presents a grain offering, when anyone presents, is literally when a soul, when you bring this sacrifice to God, you're not just bringing grain to God. You are a soul bringing self before the Lord with the grain. So the work of your hands here is a picture of you. Also, when it states that a soul is, is coming with this offering or anyone's coming with offering. It's making it clear. Just that. Anyone. It's not you know, anyone who wants to worship. Anyone who wants to 
bring themselves to the Lord is welcome to bring the sacrifice. It's not limited to certain individuals. It's not limited to the male or female. As I mentioned last week with the burnt offering, it's true that you're here also of the um, grain offering. In fact, if you will look over in 1 Samuel chapter 1. You remember that Hannah wanted a child. She didn't have one. She prays and um, asked the Lord to give her a son and promises to dedicate him to the Lord. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24, she's given the child and now he's grown enough to take to the temple and, or the tabernacle and leave him dedicated to the Lord. When she had weaned him, verse 24, she took him up with her with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine. What is this? It's a burnt offering and a grain offering and a drink offering. She's bringing him to dedicate him to the Lord and she offers these sacrifices. When anyone brings this offering, when any soul brings this offering, It's one of wholehearted devotion. It's also, though, a tribute. I mentioned at the beginning that the word offering in chapter 2, verse 1, is a different word than the word offering that's attached to the burnt offering. It's the word for tribute. So a grain offering is a grain tribute. But you might ask, what's a tribute? (laughs) Genesis chapter 32. Jacob was coming home. And he knows he's going to run into Esau. Did Jacob and Esau leave each other on good terms? Not at all. Jacob left because Esau was determined to kill him. And not without reason. I didn't say he had a good reason, but he had reasons. Jacob had, in Esau's estimate, stolen his inheritance. And he had to use some deceit, hadn't he? So in Genesis chapter 32 and verse 18, Jacob is going towards home and going towards Esau and he sends tribute ahead to Esau. Verse 18 says, You shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present. But the word there is the same word as offering in Leviticus chapter 2. It's a tribute sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he, Jacob, also is behind us. What's Jacob doing? In a sense, he's saying, we left on bad terms. We, you know... Things weren't good. But I want you to know I'm coming home and I respect you. I have respect for you. I esteem you. Maybe a bit of an apology. But he pays tribute to Esau. In... Genesis 43, we again find Jacob paying tribute. 
this time to this guy in Egypt. He had sent his sons to Egypt to get food because of the famine in the land. And as as they're coming back, they find not only the food that they bought, but the money that they had paid to Egypt for the food. It's back in their belongings, and they're scared. They've run out of food. They need to go back. But the guy has said, when you come back, don't come back unless you bring your brother, your youngest brother. Of course, the guy is Joseph, Jacob's son. But Jacob doesn't know this. And they get to the point of desperation where he's willing to send Benjamin, the youngest son. And as he sends them in verse 11 of chapter 43. Then their father Israel, Jacob, Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best products of the land in your bags and carry down to the man as a present, as a tribute. A little balm and a little honey, aromatic gum and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take him a tribute. We want him to understand. We respect him. We hold him in reverence. We're not trying to offend him. Now, the children of Israel have come into the land. A land that God has given them. We've seen that at the harvest time, when the harvest comes in, they're supposed to bring fruit from the harvest to the Lord, remembering where they've come from and where God has brought them and how He's provided for them and worship. But in that worship and any other time, really, that they bring this grain offering, they're bringing a tribute to the Lord. And part of it is saying, God, we esteem you. We reverence you. We recognize our subservience to you. You have the right to rule us. We bow before you. It's a tribute. It recognizes God as the provider and sustainer of their lives. They depend upon him. A third, I believe that we could say that the sacrifice or this offering includes with it the idea of loyalty. In verse 13 of chapter 2, the passage says, Every grain offering of yours, moreover, you shall season with salt, so that the salt of the covenant of your God shall not be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Three times in that verse, it mentions salt. And specifically, it speaks of the salt of the covenant of your God. God has made a covenant with them. And in that covenant, He's made covenant promises And he does not break any of his promises. It speaks of of loyalty. In 2 Chronicles 13, 5, God speaks there of the covenant as the covenant of salt. Why? 
Well, as we know, salt is a preservative. But I believe it is also, in Scripture, often a picture of permanency. Salt lasts. Um, there was, I don't think, a means in Old Testament times for salt to be destroyed by fire. It, even now, oftentimes, um, if, you, if you burn something that has salt in it and you consume whatever that thing is, when the fire is go- done, there's still a salt residue there. If you have a, a pot of boiling water with salt in it and the water evaporates, what's left in the pan? There's salt. Salt endures time. It doesn't you know, generally expire because there's no expiration date, I don't think, on a, a salt shaker. And so here is a, a picture of an enduring, eternal relationship. You've entered into relationship with the living God. You've entered into covenant with Him. And as the worshiper came with this grain offering... A tribute to God, thanksgiving to God. There's also this. God, I commit myself to you. You've committed yourself to me in this covenant of salt. This covenant that's enduring and I commit myself to you. Not just for a moment, but God, I commit myself and all that I am to you. I'm yours. Unreservedly. Forever yours. Along with the idea of loyalty, there's also one of, perhaps we could say, earnestness. Verse 11. Verse 11 points out that there is no leaven or honey to be added to these sacrifices that are placed on the altar. Later, when it speaks of first fruit kind of offerings, honey is included, but they're not sacrifices that are placed on the altar. That one is not. And if you'll notice in verse 12, it says, as an offering of first fruits, you shall bring them to the Lord, them being, including, I guess, the honey or maybe leavened bread even, you shall bring them to the Lord, but they shall not ascend for a soothing aroma on the altar. But this grain offering that will ascend to the Lord for a soothing aroma, you don't put honey in it, you don't put leaven in it. Leaven might be easier for us than honey, but both of them have the capacity to, to, to ferment or to corrupt that kind of picture when mixed with the flour. And so the idea here is it's not putting anything or introducing anything into the flour that you're bringing to God that could possibly corrupt it or change its nature. And so... I don't want to say unmixed because you're putting salt there and, and, and if it's uncooked, you're adding frankincense. But in both of those, you're not changing the nature of the sacrifice, which the leaven that could leaven the whole lump would or the honey if it fermented it. Additionally, leaven or yeast is sometimes used in Scripture as a picture <clears throat> pardon me, of evil. Not always, but sometimes. Uh, you know, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples 
as they're on a boat. He's just had an interaction with the Pharisees and he tells them to watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they, they miss it completely. They think he's talking about bread. We forgot to bring bread. Oh no. But he's talking about not, not literal leaven, but, but pride, sin. Watch out for the evil. Beware of it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6, where you have that situation in the church that the church is, is putting up with of this incestuous kind of relationship, Paul warns them, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? You, you bear with a little bit of sin, a little bit of pride about it, and it corrupts the whole thing. You need to watch out. Beware. So, leaven as a corrupting agent um, and as a picture of sin is seen throughout Scripture. A number of commentators have noted that honey was often used as an offering for the Canaanite gods. And so God is, if that's correct, then God is very specific about when they can use honey and when they cannot because He does not want there to be any, uh, any idea in the minds of the Canaanites. See, they're just like us. They, they offer their sacrifices like we offer. Our sacrifices, there was a very clear distinction in the way they offered. Even the kind of altar they offered it on. And so there's a, a line drawn. And again, both of them portrayed a corruption that would invalidate the sacrifice. And I believe that both of them warn of a kind of insincerity that would invalidate the sacrifice. If you come to God with a grain offering, a burnt offering and a grain offering, saying I'm wholeheartedly yours and I recognize your right to rule me and that you're the one that's provided everything, but you, know, you could afford the frankincense and you didn't bring it, then there's a kind of insincerity there that invalidates the sacrifice. Or if you say I'm wholeheartedly yours, but I, I can't wait till this thing's over because I got... You know, I've got this thing to do over here that's sinful. Well, it kind of invalidates the sacrifice, doesn't it? There's, there's no heart in what you're doing. There's a, an insincerity about what you're doing, a hypocrisy about what you're doing. And so we don't come to God you know, with boasts or, or promises that especially that, that are tinged with the insincerity of knowing I intend to sin against you as soon as I get the opportunity or I'm unwilling to deal with the sin that's already there. One other thing that I think is clearly included in this whole idea, and I've, I've mentioned it a moment ago, but not directly, I don't think. <laughs> and that is thanksgiving. We've already seen again that the, the grain offering was linked with the harvest, which was a reason for thanksgiving, or a reason for remembering at harvest time, you looked and you saw the evidence of God's provision, how He had prospered you, and that should have been something to, to you know, spur you to think and remember the kindness of God from where you've been to where you are now and how He's taking care of you. And, of course, their harvest, it's not like getting a weekly paycheck or a monthly paycheck. It's, it's more seasonal. And so, you know, harvest time comes and here's the bounty that comes in that's got to sustain you for a while. And you see it all come in and there's reason to stop and be grateful that there's enough there to take care of you from here till the next harvest. It was a reminder that God took care of them in this very practical, physical, 
temporal way. And he does. Even if you do get a weekly paycheck, you know, however you get paid or however God takes care of you, however his, his blessings come to you in temporal ways, he is the God who sustains you and me. And again, if the harvest was a reason to remember and to give thanks to God, then certainly the occasion of the burnt offering, whether the morning and evening or the the one you bring to yourself was a great occasion to remember and to thank God for the forgiveness that He gives to you. Well, those are some of the um, purposes that we see, I believe, in the grain offering. But how do we see Jesus in the sacrifice? Not perhaps as clear as in the burnt offering or a sin offering, but how do we see it in this? Well, I think that Jesus is the grain offering. He doesn't bring grain, but he offers himself to God. And as an offering, he himself was crushed for our iniquities. He was broken so that the furnace of affliction and of death would be used to... uh, to offer him in a way in which he might save his people from their sins and bring us to God. He is a perfect sacrifice. There is no leaven or corruption of any kind in him. He establishes the new covenant. He's also the, the firstborn or the first fruits from the dead. And as the first fruits of the resurrection, he's the guarantee of the Christian's future bodily resurrection to incorruptibility and immortality. And so we we see him in that way. A quick word of application. I cannot help but think that the grain offering teaches us that worship requires gratitude. Burnt offering, grain offering. Thank you, Lord. Harvest time, grain offering. Thank you, Lord. Worship requires gratitude. I mean, can you really worship and be ungrateful? If your heart is full of ingratitude, will you worship God? I think it's an impossibility. To really bow before God requires gratitude. And it's not as if He hasn't given us so much reason to be grateful. But as the Bible teaches us, and as we saw not that long ago, I think it was back in January, as we looked at, uh, John pointed us to the, the ten lepers, you know, that are healed. One comes back and the question is, where are the nine? We need to be a people who are grateful, not just in a general way, you know, some vague notion that we're blessed people and we should be grateful, but really in a deliberate way. When these harvest times came, again, they were told to recount. You came to the priest and you you recounted. My father was an Aramean. You know, we went down into Egypt, few in number, but God brought us out. They remembered They, as the old hymn says, they counted their blessings one by one. They remembered and they were made glad. And God, we see this. We bring the first fruits of our harvest to you and we worship you. What if, you know, there were occasions that were kind of set for you 
in which you stopped regularly and deliberately to remember this is where I was and this is where God has brought me and this is how He's sustaining me and because of this, I must be grateful and God, I want to worship you in this. For our temporal blessings, certainly, but for our spiritual blessings. Every Lord's Day, in a sense, should be that. Certainly, the Lord's Supper should be that. Here's a body that was broken. Here's blood that was poured out to bring me to God, to reconcile me. There was no other way to do it but this, but God provided this so that I could be reconciled. Is that not reason for gratitude? I think the idea of tribute is also applicable. Not that we bring necessarily, you know, um, I'm thinking more along the lines of just a heart of worship that bows before the Lord and recognizes that He is worthy of honor and esteem and reverence. Worship. He is the King. He rules over everything. And He rules over me. And I don't want to be a rebel that He's dragging along, kicking and screaming. I recognize my subservience. I recognize He has the right to rule. I want Him to rule. And I want to happily bow before Him and obey Him. That should be joy to me. I give Him tribute. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you're familiar with the verses. They're they're so familiar to us. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The sacrifice that it speaks of here... Best I can tell, it's not the burnt offering. It's not the sin offering. It's more like the grain offering. God, I give myself to you in full and glad surrender. God, I esteem you. I want to prove your good and perfect and acceptable will. 